Thanks for listening into the Business Builder Show. I'm Marty Wolf, and I have some great news. If you need business or real estate financing, I suggest you go to creditline1.com slash Marty Wolf. Creditline1.com is number one for business, personal, and real estate credit lines. If you need funding, I suggest you try out creditline1.com slash Marty Wolf. Go there to get started with a quick quote from creditline1.com slash Marty Wolf. Entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf, the show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, D.C. Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. I'm proud to let you know we record this show in the studios of 94.3 FM, The Talker, which is part of Bold Gold Media, and we are in my hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. The Business Builder Show is proudly distributed by C-SuiteRadio.com. That's C-SuiteRadio.com. You can find the Business Builder Show and many other fine shows on C-Suite Radio. You can also find the Business Builder Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on my website, MartyWolfBusinessSolutions.com. So, DC, are we ready to go? Should I introduce the guest? Yes, please do. Please do. I will do so. We have Mr. David B. Nast with us today on the Business Builder Show. Hi, Dave. How are you, man? I am good, Marty. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing good. Um, you've already complimented, uh, complimented uh, D.C. Taylor on his great voice. Maybe I should let him do this interview. He's got that <laughs> sultry voice. Right, D.C.? I, 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 I need scripts. <laughs> I'm a script guy. I don't have a script. so what? Exactly. You're, and you're we're good just, at this, even without a script. We're just letting it roll, you know? All right, you so, so, well, we're not going to just let it roll, so don't panic, Dave. Don't leave us. Don't hang up. All right. My guest is David Nast, and he owns Nast Partners. That's N-A-S-T, Nast Partners, based in the greater Philadelphia area. Dave is a three-time CEO, a workplace behavioral expert, and award-winning business coach with over 25 years of experience. David is also a certified partner for the Predictive Index, and we'll talk a lot about that today, as well as a certified business coach. David is a top-ranked influencer on LinkedIn with over, where do you hear this, folks, with over 25,000 followers. He also writes a column for the business section of the Huffington Post. Dave, well, you finally hit the big time. You're on the Business Builder Show. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. Thank you, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> so we've known each other for a while. I have a lot of respect for you in terms of what the work that you do. And I knew that you would be a great person to talk about something that's really an issue in all size businesses today. And that's all about uh, recruiting and retaining the best talent. Um, It's a real problem, David. I mean, you're, you're experiencing this, I'm sure, right? I mean, your clients are asking about this, right? Yeah, I actually uh, I did an informal poll in the last 12 months or so. I think I sat down with um, I think it was about 200 business owners in the last 12 months, and 85% of them, when I asked them, "What's your biggest challenge facing your business?" they all said, "Attracting and retaining 
top talent. Yeah. And, um, it's, things have changed. We're in what's being called a talent-driven market. Uh, we were sort of in this bucket back in the late 90s as well for a while. And uh, it's funny. We had the recession. <clears throat> and back during that time, you know, there were, I guess, more candidates available than jobs, shall we say. Mm. And we found that uh, the, it was an employer's market, and they would make people jump through hoops. They were super-duper selective. They, were, they took time to hire people, all this other stuff. So yeah. things have shifted, and it's very much a talent-driven market now. So we're in a bit of what I call the recession hangover, and uh, it's created yeah. what I call the mercenary culture. And yeah. Yeah. so mercenary versus missionary. <clears throat> well, let's get into some of that. Um, but one of the things, and we're, we're going to refer to two articles that I believe are still available, right? Uh, the, uh, and the first one I want to talk about is uh, about attracting talent. And, and, and the title of this is Hire the Workforce That Works for You. Uh, and one of the things in here that you say is the position description, when you're talking about a position description, it gets posted and generates tons of candidates, especially in a market with where over, here's the point I want to make, 80% of people are looking for a new job. Yeah. 80% of people are looking for a new job? Yeah, I got that stat from uh, our friends over at uh, SHRM. So, and it's made up of a couple different things. So people are looking because the market's better. So you have a bunch of people who are quote-unquote satisfied at work, but they're actually willing to dip their toe in the water just because things are better. They hear about their friends landing new jobs. You'll see it on LinkedIn all the time. So-and-so's now working here. So things are better, and there's been a bit of complacency. So in this mercenary market where people will leave for money, yeah. uh, and that's usually what it takes to attract people away, is, hey, we'll pay you some more money. And so when you hire a mercenary, I always caution the business owner, and I tell them, it's kind of like sleeping with a married man. Uh, you know, they'll do it to you, too, eventually. So, <clears throat> And I think it's 75% of your workforce is getting a phone call from a recruiter once a week. Wow. So what are you going to do so that they don't answer that call? Wow. And yeah. so, yeah, people are looking. The market's improved, and they will test the waters. People who otherwise would not are like, sure, what do you got? What's, what's out there? Yeah. Uh, just to hear about it. And there's a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. So you also say in the same article, and again, the title of the article is Hire the Workforce That Works for You. You say the recruiter spends an average of six seconds on a resume. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. I thought the resume was the way that people looked for you. So what do you mean by that? A recruiter spends an average of six seconds on a resume. Explain that in more detail for me. And what's really disheartening about that is that the candidate will spend like, you know, six hours creating the resume. Yeah, so and pay somebody resume, to write it and pay somebody to write it often, right? Oh, yeah, often. Hundreds of dollars. And yeah. um, so I used to do this. I um, I was a headhunter. I'm a recovering headhunter. I was a headhunter for years. <laughs> um, had my own search firm, uh, placed a bunch of CEOs in the life sciences industry. And then also I shifted gears and became a career coach and got certified as a career coach, got certified as a resume writer and all that other stuff. So I'm intimately acquainted with this unfortunate practice. So yeah. The recruiter comes in in the morning, and they've got 150 resumes in their inbox, and they will just they'll glance at them quickly. And I can't show you this, uh, but I have what's called a heat map uh, right. software, where your eyeball falls on the resume uh -huh. and how quickly it does it and what they scan for. So that helped me as a resume writer. That's where I encountered that software when I got certified at Penn. Mm -hmm. So 
it's it's pretty cool, so you know where to spend some time, what to say, but it's six seconds because they've got to get through all the stuff, yeah. and they're going to create three piles that morning. Yes, yeah. no, and maybe. And if you end up with enough yeses, all the maybes become no, and they get deleted, and yeah. you might get the standard, thanks for applying, but no thanks, email. And then they'll spend time on the yeses. When they get the yeses, the next step is to just start calling these people in doing the phone screen, and that's a huge investment of time. I would think the so. Average, yeah. It takes an average of 38 hours of time to fill a position. Wow. And if you can implore some tactics, we, you know, we use workforce analytics, we use the predictive index, which is legally defensible for hiring and selection. We'll inject it into the funnel before the phone screen. And it'll change the shape of your funnel, so you spend more time with better qualified candidates, yeah. and it'll, you'll reduce your cost per hire that way, but you also hire better people, which is kind of cool. Well, that's so, what, yeah. yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's why you're here, because, uh, again, we want to help business owners hire right. And, and, and you say also in this article that 81% of CEOs feel that their external hires are, are disappointments. That's a disappointment to hear that. Yeah. that a high percentage of CEOs say, wow, we had we went through this process and we're still not hiring the best people. Well, come on, Dave Nast, give me some answers. What's the solution yeah. here? You know? And you're spending a fortune on them, too. So um, it's, it's kind of unfortunate in a way. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. It, for, on the employee side, uh, the average employee, I think it's uh, – will make up their mind within the first 45 days whether or not they're going to stay at a job. Yeah. So then I go back to the employer and go, let's look at your onboarding process. What's going on when you get these people? You paid a boatload of cash to get them in here. Yeah. How can we get the best out of them? And so there are a couple things are happening. Number one, there's lack of alignment for everyone who touches that position. So you're a new guy. You come in, you're sitting down in the chair. Your boss says, we want this from you, and it's going to be this. And then you talk to a peer, oh, it's really more of this. Don't listen to him. And then you talk <laughs> yeah. to someone that reports to you, and it's like, well, it was really more like this, and you should talk to so-and-so in the other department. So you leave that day going, they have no idea what they're doing. What have I gotten myself into? Job search is fresh. Still got a lot of those contacts out there. Uh, Let's keep looking. Yeah. And, in, and job search takes time even in a talent-driven market. So yeah. the, um, the average tenure of an employee right now is 17 months. And they say it takes an average of 11 months to master a job. So the business owner is only getting six good months out of each employee. Wow. Turnover is ridiculously expensive. Wow. On the low side, it just gets more expensive depending on when you pay the person. I think I have in that article the quote from the Department of Labor that it's, you know, 30% of the first year's compensation to replace someone. Yeah. So when you look at an entry-level position, $12 an hour, that's like twenty-five grand a year. That's $7,500 bucks yeah. wow. to replace an entry-level position. But I have statistics from the Center for American Progress, which are even worse. When you get up to $60,000 a year to replace an employee that makes that, Marty, take a guess for me. Huh. What do you think the percentage of the employee's annual salary is in the cost of turnover to replace a $60,000 a year employee? Uh, the cost of the salary, maybe? I don't know. A little less? A little more? 213%. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. So take that up a notch to hundred grand. It's going to cost you two hundred and thirteen grand to replace that person. Shoot. That's not pretty, and that's expensive. So if we can get it right, if you can hire best fit, if you can onboard them the right way, if you know how to motivate them, keep them motivated while they're there, give them a path to follow, 
use that to develop them and succeed them. Well, then you look at the whole employee life cycle, and I call it, you know, hire, inspire, to retire, that sort of thing. If you can take care of them in that way, and here's the thing, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Yeah. And that's why yeah. my fallback is to go to the analytics and look at objective data yeah. that's, that's scientifically validated for this stuff. Yeah, and that's the predictive index, and I do want to get into more detail with that, but we've been focusing this part of the show on attracting talent, which is yeah. obviously the first step, and we are going to talk about the role the predictive index can play in that, and, and we're going to talk about how to retain those clients. So let's take a short break, Dave. We'll kind of use this to, you know, we're going from attracting to retaining. So just hang on for a minute, Dave. We'll be right back, all right? Sounds good. Stay tuned for more of the Business Builders Show. But first, I want to remind you of my professional relationship with CreditLine1.com. If you need business or real estate financing, you can get a quick quote on CreditLine1.com slash Marty Wolf. That's CreditLine1.com slash Marty Wolf. Welcome back to the Business Builder Show. I have Mr. Dave Nast with me. Dave, the best best place for people to reach you the best place for people to reach you at website or what what do you suggest yeah our website's great there is contact information there we have our number we have our emails on there and the website is nastpartners.com and it is n-a-s-t nastpartners.com and he can help you at all these phases so okay so we had your help attracting the right talent we did what you suggested we've got them now so is there a as you call it in your article is there a recipe for talent retention if so give me the secret sauce man start talking yeah. me through it you know so i look at things um with with so how do i say this picture an iceberg and the stuff that you see on the surface that let's call that observable behavior that's one thing, and that's where a lot of the assessments live and personality tests and all that stuff, and that's, that's a nice start. You've got to dig deeper, and that's where analytics come in, and that's the stuff under the surface that you don't see. That's what drives behavior. So in that realm, I like to say that people, we all have drives. Drives create needs, and when the needs, uh, when we go about meeting those needs, what shows up is the behavior. So if needs are being met at work, all that cool stuff, engagement, productivity, all that stuff goes up. But what if people masquerade? And that's the uh. thing. Employees masquerade all the time. So how do we know? So it's all about awareness. That's where the analytics come in. So, Marty, the story I like to tell is uh, to make sense for this. You and I are having lunch at the country club. And we observe three people playing golf. And our observation of their behavior is, wow, they seem really competitive. And we're basing that on what we see. They're getting upset at bad shots. They're celebrating the good ones. They're concentrating when they're putting. So we think, wow, they're really competitive. What we don't know is what's driving that behavior. So, for instance, one is driven to win, truly is competitive. Another one is driven by perception. It's more about looking good and not looking bad for them. And that's different. The other one can be driven by precision. They're working on their grip, the nuances of their swing, that sort of thing. So if I become their golf coach and my job is to get the best out of all three of them, if I approach them in the same way, I'll lose two of them. So if I have the awareness of what they are, it's not about accommodating each other's differences. It's not about tolerating it. It's not about changing who I am for each person I'm in front of. I don't have to be a chameleon. It's about me being me 
you being you, us understanding that and getting the best out of each other and leveraging the differences to get more done. That's what makes it a little bit different. And to keep a measure on that. So there's a part of the predictive index that measures what's going on in real time. So I call that the finger on the pulse of your organization. Well, let's so, just let's let's back up for a minute. So I'm listening yeah. to you. And you know what? Managers, leaders, bosses hear this stuff all the time. We, we want we want to keep them. We want to understand them individually. So this is where I want you to get into as you, and you started to because we want to give people solutions. You're on this show because uh, this is a business show. I want to help people. I want to help these managers attract and retain the best talent. So I understand what you just said about those golfers, but Dave, what's a, what's a manager to do? I mean, this, this sounds awful complex. Now you have, this is where you can start talking about your actual work as far as I'm concerned. So help me explain to me how I, how do I learn uh, what those differences are? How do I help manage through all of that? Yeah, it's, so that's the thing, too. I'll throw out another statistic for you. 85% of people change the job because of their relationship with their manager. So the manager position is of vital importance. Yeah, and going yeah. back to the recession hangover, a lot of people became managers through attrition. They survived. Uh, and then they got promoted when things got good, and they didn't train them on it. So they, they don't know how to manage so to speak. So mm-hmm. when we actually put in the workforce analytics, we will train the manager. We manage people to perform and what to identify and what to look for. So for instance, I'm sitting down with someone in a job that is, and let's just say I know from the data that this person is not detail oriented. I'm probably talking about myself. And then let's say the job requires high level of accuracy, detail orientation. How can I coach that person to perform in that way. So if I do know what drives them, and let's say this individual is driven by perception, I will frame the conversation around how being more detail-oriented will help you be recognized, help you get promoted, help you hit your goals, and all that stuff, and meet you where you are, and then give you some tools. Like, hey, this is what's going to help you close this gap, and that's what it's all about. Nobody's ever going to be a perfect fit, but if I understand where you're starting from, now I know where the gaps are, and I can speak to that. And if I know what does drive you, I yeah. can use that as the vehicle yeah. to get more out of you. You um, Obviously, we're talking about the predictive index. That's what you use. Where did you learn of and the, the predictive index, and how did you start applying it? Like, when did you get hooked, if you will? Oh, boy. So um, coming up on Halloween, will be. Uh, I will actually have calculated this. I'll have 10,000 hours in it, so I guess I'll be an expert. Um, <laughs> so I got hooked on PI originally as a recruiter. Uh-huh. Back as a headhunter, we used it as, a, as an assessment because it is legally defensible for hiring and selection. So we used it to hire better, faster, and then also inside the data, not only will it generate interview guides, competency-based interview guides, it'll also generate coaching guides. So the successful candidate, we would give the employer the coaching guide. So now it's like, here's a recipe to get the most out of this person because here's where they match the job and here's where they don't. Yeah. So you know what to do with them. And the other thing that's really cool about PI is there's something called the job assessment. So we have three to five stakeholders design the position. in the software. So now you have something to measure against. And here's the thing, that changes. So if the stakeholders change, let's redo it. And I have a client that has uh, a location in New York, and they have one in, I think, Nebraska. 
same job, same company, same title, but they have different expectations because there's different stakeholders. Yeah. And it's a sales position. So they want somebody more authoritative in New York and they want someone more relational in Nebraska because that's how business gets done. Yeah. So you can apply it that way. Yeah. And it, it becomes very, very useful. I call it mapping your company's genome. If you will do the job assessment for every position in your org chart, you now have a recipe to prevent problems from festering and also be progressive in attacking them to keep people moving forward. And I got clever with the mapping the genome thing. Back in the 90s, I actually placed uh, 17 of the doctors that mapped the human genome. And I, I remember talking to them on the phone one night. And I was in my 20s and I was, you know, kind of... I'll, I'll use the word ignorant. And I said, so, you know, why is this project so important? And the guy said, well, it's not about curing disease. It's about preventing it. Uh, and that made me think. I was like, you know what? That's what this is. This is preventing problems. Yeah. And wow. we were talking about that piece that measures it real time. If you re-administer it every six months or within 30 days of a major change, you can capture the stress. You can capture when someone's being drained. Yeah. And you can go talk to them and learn, is this a sprint or a marathon? If it's a sprint, it's something they're going to get over quickly. It's, you know, hey, Brad, what's going on with you today? Because you saw this big gap in his data, and he's like, oh, this new software is killing me. I just got to learn it. Well, you know what? He'll get over that. You can help him a little bit. He appreciates that you stop by to support him. But what if it's a marathon? What if it's the new normal? This is your job now. Yeah. That's going to require a different level of coaching and some coping mechanisms to help them get through that. But you can save that employee. Yeah. By getting involved with them, recognizing it, and also, again, looking at what drives them and coaching them in that way, because that's how they're going to receive the information, yep. and that's how you can get the most out of people. So, uh, listen up, Business Builders Show listeners. I'm giving you a solution. I'm giving you help in the form of my friend and a real pro in this category, Dave Nast. Give me your website again, David. Yeah, thank you. It's Nast partners.com and that's n-a-s-t sort of like nasty without the y nastpartners.com <laughs> and can they find you on huffington post in the business section also yeah in the business section um it's listed under david b nast that is my official name um but yeah you can log on you can actually um sign up for that so whenever a new article hits you'll get notified yeah. and i the blog i have a blog on my website as well uh and i write for linkedin pulse so a lot of the stuff will circle around this guy is one prolific producer. Uh, <laughs> this guy knocks out material that is relevant and it's so good. So you do want to follow him. Go to his website. Start there, nastpartners.com. Uh, we've got a minute or two left. What did I forget? What point do you want to drive home? What did I screw up? Uh, help me out here. But let's wrap up. <laughs> You did none of the above. Um, what I would say is um, these types of things, people get weary of them. They, they, they think they're going to be terribly expensive and really horribly difficult to implement, and it couldn't be further from the truth. That it's is not true. expensive. Yeah. Yep. It's a subscription-based solution, yep. so it's all-inclusive. It's yep. not per person. And the other thing, too, is it's very easy. We train people. We will actually equip the company to be self-sufficient, but we're always here. We don't want people to become consultant-dependent. We don't want people to become report-dependent. We want you to become data-dependent. So we train you on it. You get it. It's very easy to use. It's not hard. And for managers that have 20 people reporting to them, you're not going to have to read 20, 90-page reports. You're going to glance at a pattern and go, oh, I understand this person. So it's very simple and very easy to use. 
You're the best, man. So nastpartners.com. Take advantage of uh, this learning that we've just shared with you. So, David, thanks for being with us, man. I appreciate it. Oh, hey, Marty, DC. I really appreciate the opportunity and always a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Reminding you to find this show and many others at csuiteradio.com, csuiteradio.com. So on behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, your host, and D.C. Taylor, my executive producer, thank you for listening to The Business Builder Show. Bringing the business classroom to you. It's The Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. My name is Peter Himmelman, Grammy and Emmy-nominated musician, author, and chief dream enabler of Big Muse. I'm proud to underwrite this episode of The Business Builders Show with Marty Wolf. Discover why companies like Adobe, 3M, McDonald's, and Gap have brought in Big Muse's rock and roll-fueled seminars to get inspired, to get insight, and to get activated. Write to me today at peter at bigmuse.com.